0: Hey everybody! Welcome to Basement Sports Podcast. Another edition here on a Wednesday evening. Got the full panel with us tonight. Duty, how you doing, man? I'm very well, thank you. And uh, as always, what's up, my bitches? Uh, Wayne Wagoner from Mount Lebanon. What's going on, Wayne? Not
1: a whole lot. Got to play tennis yesterday for the first time in a, a long
0: time. Nice, so, nice. Yep. Yeah. Any? How many unforced errors, or did you play pretty well?
1: <laughs> we just hit the ball yesterday. Nice, but it was nice to be outside.
0: Awesome, Scott Startari. What's going on? I know, sir.
1: Uh, I'm doing really well as as always, man. It's it's an honor to be with you guys. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Uh, glad to have you here. We have uh, we have quite a bit to talk about tonight, and um, I mean, I you'd have to be living in a hole to not understand what's going on. So not only we have the coronavirus, but uh, a lot of social unrest right now uh, after what I I describe as uh, the murder of George Floyd um, in broad daylight. Um, it's just a horrible tragedy. Uh, should never happen. And I hope that the uh, the police officers that were the perpetrators of this are, are uh, prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Um, we are a sports podcast. And there are, you know, this this whole social unrest and the protests and the violence things that are going on actually do kind of bleed into sports and what we observe. And as you guys know, I monitor the uh, Basement Sports Podcast Twitter page. I follow a bunch of journalists and and uh, and athletes, et cetera. And, and one of the things that I, I'm, I'm seeing now, and I'm, I, I'm not quite sure how to wrap my arms around it, and that's why I wanted to open up with this, was the, the social unrest, how it involves sports, and do athletes, coaches, and teams feel pressure to say something? Okay, to make some kind of statement, to put it out there on social media, or put it out there on the radio or television or whatever. And I've noticed that there's this pressure, for these um, sports individuals to do this. So Wayne Wagner, I'm going to start with you. Like what, what, what do you feel are the obligations of our athletes, our coaches, our teams to actually step out when something like this is going on and make a statement? Well,
1: I don't, I wouldn't use the word obligation. I think there's some pressure because to a lot of Americans in a society that is still highly segregated by neighborhoods and socioeconomic status. A lot of our population's only exposure to minorities and African-Americans are either um, a negative Im- image that they see on the news or the sports figures. And that's their only real exposure. So I think there's a pressure on the sports <laughs> figures that are out there and very public to, to get involved um, as far as minorities. And I think a lot of these guys have reached the pinnacle um, financially in their careers, but they don't want to forget where they came from, where they grew up, where their friends are from, uh, what they may have experienced before they became uh, professional athletes. So I think there's a lot of pressure on them to to step forward and, and use their fame to um, to kind of send a message to the general public who don't have a lot of exposure to positive uh, role models because of how
2: segregated society is.
0: Okay. Duty, what do you think? <laughs> uh, I,
2: I agree with him. I think there's a lot of pressure on the athletes and, and especially the black athlete that's been successful. Um, However, I, I don't think there's a right answer. There's people that said, what do you think about Black Lives Matter? And the guy says, I think all lives matter. And he's a sportscaster in Seattle. And he's suspended for saying all lives matter. You, there's no right answer to this. And you, you hit it right on the head. Um, that cop murdered that suspect in front of a lot of people and a lot of camera. And the three guys, the three policemen that were standing around them, and didn't do anything are just as liable. And I think if Minnesota the police would have arrested that those three four cops and they'd have done it right away, I don't think we'd have had that much rioting. That they didn't do anything for a week. And that's ridiculous. And they did up the charges today to second degree <laughs> murder. And I think he did murder them. And, I, and but my problem with the whole situation is there wasn't anybody that saw that video. Black, white, Hispanic, Chinese, whatever you want to say. There was nobody that didn't think that that was ridiculous and murder. But then again, as soon as they start rioting and burning down buildings in their own neighborhoods, people just, people, they lose people with that. I don't think there's any good way to go about it. I think it's a, we have a problem in this country. Um, They handled it poorly and this is what you get.
0: Go ahead, Scott.
2: Yeah,
1: I, I, I'm like a lot of Americans. I'm sick to my stomach over it. Uh, to watch that guy die like that at the hands of a of anybody, let alone a police officer, is just brutal, man. Uh, that's about all I feel qualified to say on that. I will say as it relates to the sports world, it's going to have one of two effects. It's going to bring people closer together or it's going to divide further and early returns on that are that it's going to divide you may have seen the information coming out of new orleans with new orleans saints and drew Brees came out and made a statement about the flag and how much the flag means to him and everything like that and then michael thomas his all worldwide receiver said we don't really care what you think so it's it's i hope that it brings people together because you both guys have said it it's the system's broken and it needs fixed. Um, my opinion from a sports perspective, it's probably going to divide first even further uh, before, if it ever causes people to come together.
0: The, the disturbing thing that I saw, at least, you know, in, in my my watching social media and and, um, and seeing what was being sent back and forth on Twitter. So I'll give you a couple of examples. So Sidney Crosby was given shit about not saying anything. Well, I think in the last day or two, you could tell either him or in collaboration with others in his circle, put something out there. It was very well said. And it but that even started another argument. So the people who were Sidney Crosby supporters then come out and say, well, okay, here it is. Is this good enough now? And there were people that responded that said, no, it's not good enough. It's it's too late. He should have said something right away. Well, another person who took a lot of heat in the city was Pat Narduzzi. Because Narduzzi was given a lot of pressure to say something off the bat. I believe he posted a quote from um, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., and that caused an uproar. Said, well, this isn't enough. This isn't your own words. This this isn't enough. Well, here from what I've read and look, you know, I I'm not sure what all the facts are, but it seems to me from the different angles that I saw is that he met with his team virtually or 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 some of them one-on-one and he wanted to get a feel for what was going on and what their feelings were. Then he came out and said something. All right. Um, and there were others that came out and said, Hey, that's not good enough. That's, you know, you should have been, you should have been faster at this. I I, look, I I know me personally, I, I don't feel like I'm an authority to be able to say much of anything on this, except how appalled I am at what happened to George Floyd and that I feel that those police officers should go to jail. But we are in such an unbelievably sensitive society right now that if I was a pro athlete, especially if I'm not minority, if I'm Caucasian, and I'm expected to say something, in a lot of ways, I think some of them are in a lose-lose because I've seen situations where they haven't said anything and they're taking over the coals for not saying something then they say something and there's another group of people that come back at them and say you're not a minority you have no right to say anything about this so it's you you these 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 athletes have to feel like they're walking on eggshells i don't envy them at all about having to deal with this there was there was something else i want to bring up that was on twitter actually and i the it just initially on the surface i thought it was ridiculous Somebody actually posted a, a diagram. It was like a PowerPoint slide. On, and there were two sides to it where you had the pro teams that had actually made a statement and then on the other side pro teams that had not. And the pro teams that hadn't said anything yet were getting shit over it, okay? It, it, this is what we, it's like we're, like we're keeping score. It, Scott, is that where we are right now? Like, like the, the, the public is keeping score on shit like this? And, and this is because of social media, this is where we are.
1: I, I think that a lot of people that um, comment on things with social media have their own agendas. Um, they just have their own agendas. We don't know who they are, where they come from, what their agenda is, but they do. I stay away from all that stuff, quite honestly. I don't care what any sports figure says. I don't care what any Hollywood actor or actress says. I just don't care. It's 100% irrelevant. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. What I care about are the people that can make change. And that's the everyday person, right? The The everyday person or leaders who can affect change so this doesn't happen again. That's all I really care about. I don't take my political direction or any direction at all from a a movie star or an athlete or Hollywood. It's irrelevant, Greg. And I, it's irrelevant. People are talking about things they're not qualified to talk about.
0: Go go ahead, Wayne. I was just going
1: to say, I'm with Scott. I'm on, you know, as you well know, I'm on no social media for those reasons. But I think this is such a sensitive topic that the danger of the sensitivity is you can't have an open dialogue. People may have the best intentions and say something that is insensitive in other people's eyes, but if you can't have an open dialogue to get educated on the whole situation, we're never going to get any further. And that's where we're at now. You can't even have an open dialogue. You can't talk about the hard job a police officer has right now and that the same standards of not judging young African Americans by stereotype, should also be applied to judging all police officers, but you can't talk about that in an open dialogue. That's the scary part of the over sensitive reactions, because we'll never get any further unless we can honestly talk about this and get educated. And that's what scares me.
0: Yep. Go ahead, duty.
2: I don't know what else there is to say. We're yeah. kind of beating a dead horse um, as a white, middle-aged male, uh, that pretty much grew up predominantly in a white area. Uh, I don't think I'm qualified to talk about what it's like living in this world as a, as a minority. Um, I know it would scare me to death if I had, uh, if I'm sitting in my house and at 11 o'clock at night, I want to go out and, and buy beer or buy an ice cream or something, or walk down the street to get a slice of pizza. I know that it's different. I don't have to worry about that. There are minorities in this country that walk out of their house and walk down the street to get a slice of pizza and you don't know what's gonna happen. And it's not fair. I don't have the answers to how to fix it, but I'm not qualified to speak on, on
0: it. Okay. Well, hey guys, thanks. I mean, I, I, I wanna make sure that we we address this because and we want to put in a little bit of a sports context, but I agree. I, I'm, I'm not qualified to talk on it. I would like to get some some guests on, you know, maybe, you know, as things start to work through. You know, we we've ha- uh, we, you know, we have some journalists out there that are minorities that have been verbal on social media about this. I'd like to have them on. I'd like to, to, to Wayne, to your point, I'd like to have that dialogue i like to talk about it. I'd like yeah. to have it, have it explained to me. I wouldn't mind having uh, minority athletes on the podcast talk about Let me know, you know, let us know what you're feeling. What, what experiences have you had where this has actually happened? Because I want to know. I want to understand. I, I'm I'm speaking many times out of a place of ignorance because I don't know what it's like to have to live in a world like that. A like that. So, Let's um let's go on to our next uh to our next topic. Um announcement came down either mm, yesterday or yesterday or today, uh the Steelers are not going to La Trobe for training camp. And I have a ton of great memories from going to La Trobe to see training camp. And I if I'm not mistaken, the Steelers now are in the minority as far as teams that actually leave their home facilities to go and have training camp anymore or else it might be like a 50-50 split but you know it was a it's been a tradition forever but because of COVID-19 Steelers are going to be doing their training camp at their facility on the south side so you know this changes a a, this this interrupts a long stretch of uh, training camp at La Trobe Steelers always have that uh that Friday night lights practice uh at La Trobe Stadium, uh, which I have taken my son to on numerous occasions. Uh I take him down to uh down to Saint Vincent to see practice. Um I, I wanna start with you, Wayne Wagner. I, you know, with with the Steelers, there's some great stories that have come out of La Trobe. Have you ever had a chance to go down to La Trobe and watch practice or be there at St. Vincent and see how that whole, how th- that whole thing is run?
1: I have quite a few times. Actually, I was very fortunate. I coached um, youth sports with the um, head of videography at the Steelers, and he would always give me field passes to go down to training camp where I could actually go down with the players and actually got to eat lunch in the uh, the dining hall with them. And, and my favorite story was um, Larry Lentzner, who you and, and, and Scott, no, <laughs> he came up to Pittsburgh to visit me and brought his son Kevin. And um, it was uh, near the end of practice, and the teams were walking off and you can get autographs. And uh, Ben Roethlisberger was coming up, and I think it was right after, it was right before the first Super Bowl year. And he was not signing, he was in a hurry to get to the locker room. And I had Kevin up on my shoulders, and Kevin had a football. And I was yelling to Ben that, Kevin came all the way from Dallas, Texas, to get an autograph from a Pittsburgh Steeler. <laughs> and Ben turned and looked, and he said, throw me the ball. <laughs> so we threw the ball to him, and it was the only autograph he signed. But he sent wow. Kevin's football and uh, and threw it back to us. So, that was, so
2: uh, it was a completed pass
1: then? <laughs> it was. It was uh, I was on target as well, as, just as accurate as Ben. And then another story, when I took – I took my son Paul up to training camp and there was an offensive lineman who um, didn't um, eventually got got cut from the team, but he asked my son if he could carry, if my son could carry his pads into the locker room for him. So he did, he was about 10 or 11 years old, I'm guessing. And he took the pads into the locker room and, and uh, this player took him into the locker room and gave him. Gatorade, and he was in there with all the players. So, yeah, I had two two really great memories of training camp in Latrobe.
0: That's awesome, Scott. Hey, that's the thing, you know.
1: Um, I've been to multiple away games for the Steelers. I've been to too many to count home games. I've been to two Super Bowls. I'm zero and two. The team is six and two. You're, you're and never, two. you're I'll
0: never be. allowed to go again. You're done. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I, I, I've been abused ever since those things. Um, I've never, embarrassingly enough as a Yinzer, I've never been to Latrobe. I, I know all the stories. I've seen a lot of them. Never been there. My favorite one that I've heard is when Jap, Jack Lambert, uh, uh, after they won two Super Bowls and they were at training camp and they were along the lines where the fans were. And these two little kids were asking Steelers for autographs. And they looked over at Jack Lambert and one boy said to the other boy, don't ask him. He's mean. And Lambert just kind of looked down at him and snarled and ran down the, ran down the walkway. And Lambert actually tells that story, which is phenomenal. You know, that was, that was kind of his MO back then. But man, I will tell you this. It wasn't the Steelers idea to not go there. The NFL right. made everybody stay, right? Uh, you know, at their facilities. So they'll be back in 21. And I will promise you, I will be there. My brother in law and I have talked about uh, going there on occasion. We will be there in twenty one. So
0: outstanding, Duty, I know you're a Cowboys fan, but have you ever go- gone down to St. Vincent to watch practice? Uh,
2: I went once, and it was a cluster. You know what? Uh, <laughs> a lot of people. Uh, whatever. Uh, Scott's right. It's not. It's not their fault. Dallas is not allowed to go to Oxnard, right? California to practice this year. I think they want people close to home. Um, I wish I had a good story about that kind of thing, but uh, I, even i mean it was I can't say it wasn't fun to see up and close to hear hear the practices, hear the coaches talk to the players while they're practicing, hear them communicate to each other. most people don't get that um it's a and it say what you want, but a lot of money comes into these oxnards when Dallas is there, and a lot of money goes to the trobe when the Steelers are there. Cause some people come in and they spend money in hotels and they go out to eat. And we know they all drink at bars. <laughs> so it's going to hurt Latrobe. It's going to, it's going to hurt Oxnard, but uh, you have to do it. It's a one, like Scott said, it's a one year thing at, at first time since 65. I think I heard that, the, yeah. that Pittsburgh hasn't gone there, which is a shame for Latrobe. Um, but again, it's this, this is, this isn't uh this is uh, not the rule
0: well I got I got some stories to share oh go ahead Wayne go ahead I was just gonna say but all the stories come
1: from the close interaction from the fans when mm-hmm. you eliminate that there's really no reason to go to the camp that's right right right
0: and it, I, I know that like over the so what I have to tell is like when I take my son there most recently thing that fans always look forward to is for example the the garbage can throw so Roethlisberger and the other quarterbacks, you know they they're trying to throw football into a garbage can at a certain number of yards to see, and that's a lot of fun. But one of the ones that really gets fans going is the um, they have the jugs machine for like uh, punt receiving and kick receiving, and the watching alignment. They, the well, they'll they'll try they'll set up a line and see like how many footballs you can catch and hold on to at one time and I actually think Antonio Brown has the record for the number so he was like I think he was holding on to six footballs and caught a seventh but then he couldn't hold on to an eighth so you know they got footballs like tucked between their legs and two of them under the other arm and you know all over the place and it's 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 really really entertaining and the the fans love it um when I was great before you
2: before you move on I want to mention that Uh, At the blue one time at the blue white game, we got there early and they were at Penn State and they had the jugs machine out for punt returners. Yeah, but they took linemen defensive and offensive linemen back and shot a punt return up in a jugs gun. And to watch these big linemen, they couldn't come within 10 yards of the ball when it was coming down. They couldn't catch it if they did, but they couldn't even get within 10 yards of the ball. And it was absolutely entertaining.
0: Well, I think the one Steeler that I saw, the one Steeler lineman do it was Ramon Foster. And he actually caught three balls. Like, it was pretty... Oh, no, I mean, that was for, not good. Yeah, he was, he was actually half decent at it for a guy <laughs> his size. When I was a kid, my, my dad took me up there back in the 70s, uh, in the you know the early glory years. And I remember I remember watching Terry Bradshaw come down the line for practice, you know, come down that hill, and, you know, watching my heroes, but um, I, I knew who Art Rooney Sr. was, I, like, I knew who the chief was when I was a little kid, and back then, security wasn't quite so hard, and, and um, Mr. Rooney was out just beyond the ropes talking to somebody, and I snuck under the ropes, and I ran up to him, and all I didn't want an autograph. I just wanted to introduce myself to him. He was the nicest man. Shook my hand, wanted to know what my name was, where I went to school, like just that's like a memory I'll never ever forget. Like meeting Mr. Rooney. Um But one of the one of the best stories that I know, and this didn't even come from me, was <clears throat> how much. um you, you know, the, the school, and there's an arch abbey there uh, for priest formation of the Catholic Church. And, um, and when I was a young man, I went to this small little mission Catholic church in, of all places, Hunker, Pennsylvania. Well, it was attached to another church in Youngwood, and they used to get uh, a, an assistant priest to come from St. Vincent to come and help with the masses on Sunday. So one of the priests who would come, God rest his soul, was Father Omer Klein, and he was actually the professor of homiletics at, uh, at the Arch Abbey uh, for the uh, formation of priests. He was a towering man, well over six feet, didn't need a microphone for his sermons. He had this booming voice and uh, a, a wonderful homilist, but he was a great storyteller, and he knew a lot of the Steelers of the 70s very very well. Like they, they had these they had these relationships with these players and and um he told me a story that um there was a a priest there, one of the monks uh who was quite elderly, who was in poor health and was actually dying. But he was a close friend of Jack Lambert. Him and Jack Lambert had become really really good friends. And uh and before the practices start Lambert came up to St. Vincent um, and he had Randy Grossman in tow to go and and see this uh, this ailing priest and uh, Father Omer told me that Jack Lambert came in apparently this priest had uh, was a hunter and he had a deer head on his on his wall of his tiny little dorm room that he lived in at the Arch Abbey and Jack Lambert took his his cowboy hat off and Hung it on one of the antlers of the of the deer head when he walked in to go in and and visit this priest. Well, Father Omer struck up a convers. Was sitting there talking to Randy Grossman. Well, Randy Grossman was is Jewish, and he was he was sitting there talking to him. And Father Omer do this, and he says, "You know, Randy he said, um men who usually come in here, you know, don't go out. They don't they don't get to leave. You know, like you know, the monks come in and they." That's their life. They they become monks. So he was kind of joking with Randy Grossman. And he goes, "Yeah, that's why I'm here with Jack. So I have a better shot at fighting my way out of here."
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: So uh, and he's right. Yeah, that was a that was a great. You know, it was a great story uh, from back then. And you know, I was even listening today to one of the local radio stations and uh, Ron Cook and and uh, um, oh my goodness. Uh, Ed Bouchette, we're telling some stories of of how things used to be at at Saint Vincent, and it's a lot different than it is today. A lot different than it is today. So, uh, unfortunately, the Steelers won't be there uh, for for training camp. But Scott, you you come out for training camp next year. Let me know when, and I'll I'll make sure we come we we all go out together.
1: Make mark it down. Mark right. it down.
0: Sounds good. Sounds good. So. Uh, let's shift gears over to uh, to Major League Baseball, <clears throat> and this this gets the temperature and the blood pressure up. But, uh, <laughs> not anymore. No. Not anymore. Not. Um, so, Major League Baseball Players Association. So, if I'm keeping score right, or how whoever made the last offer, I think the ownership made the last offer. Um and it got turned down and there's no counter offer. It, are we at the point of no return here, Scott? Is this it? I mean, is this is this the end? Well will
1: somebody please tell these people we don't care. <laughs> um no, no nobody cares, man. Nobody cares. Um They don't care about fans. Fans don't care about them. No one feels like they're missing anything. I can only hope and pray that they don't play this year and they get their act together, which they probably won't do anyway next year. Um, No, I don't think it's the end of it because there's money out there. Anytime I use these two words, Scott Boris, who's now involved and has strong opinions on it, it's not good for anybody, okay? Except for the guys getting paid. That's about it. So somebody tell these folks we don't care. Just go away, please. Scott, go away, l-
0: Scott. Let me follow up with you, because That name you brought up. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with this for a second.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: Is the Scott Boris or is it the Scott Boris's of the world that are running the players union now? Does Tony Clark really have less power than the agents do right now?
1: Oh, I think Boris has all the power in the world. There's no question about that. I think Boris is is a multimillionaire. How many times over? He's made multimillionaires out of the top tier players. Mm-hmm. There's no question. I don't think he's good for the game of baseball. The same way I didn't think Donald Fair was good for the game of baseball. I just don't. When you exclude too many markets and it becomes an uncapped game, it's not fair for fans either. So, um, I think that Boris and the agents have all the power, Greg. Yes,
0: duty. We've already talked about like you know if Major League Baseball it, they're going to take a major major hit if they if they bag the season over money. So do do you see like this latest back and forth and that there's no counter offer that this is it? Or are they going to? Do you think that they'll like everybody else? You know, you don't you know I
2: I could care less right now. It's- you're talking to two guys with Scott and I that are two of the biggest baseball fans. You're going to find anywhere around. I've been watching. I get the, I told you, I subscribe to that MLB extra innings every year. I'm going to tell you right now, if they paid me $50 to watch any games, if it does come back, I'd say, no, I'm, I'm done. And I'm, and I'm tired of, of the big money calling the shots. Every other sport is trying to figure out a way to at least, figure this out and and major league baseball doesn't care. And if they want to come back with this product with the Scott Boris type players that's saying, I'm not playing the big boys. And they just want to say, okay, well, how about just the minor leagues? You know, 50% of baseball, the the money in baseball is held by like 20% of the biggest richest people. 60, 60 or 70% of baseball salaries, they make less than a million dollars a year. Those guys would probably play. They don't – they're not represented by Scott Boris. So I don't care. If you want to give me a team a, – a, say the Phillies, my team, are going to play, and Bryce Harper says I'm not, and Reese Hoskins isn't going to play, I don't want to watch anyway. Who gives a shit? Scrap it. Try again next year, and if you don't play next year, I don't give a shit again. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm, I'm done. I've, I've had it. You, there's, they, he hit it right in the head. Scott said it perfectly. They don't care about what fans think, especially here in Pittsburgh. I don't know why you'd go to Pittsburgh to watch a game regardless, even if it is a nice park, no idea why you'd waste your money to go down there and have a 95% chance of losing when they have a double a ball team on the field. No yeah. idea. I have no idea why you would. I am so thankful. I don't live in a city where It's my favorite team, and they're that pathetic of an ownership. I'm. I don't know what I do. I have Uh, no idea what I do.
0: Go ahead, Wayne. But I can't. I don't care. Go ahead, Wayne.
1: Duty. They add new items to the menu every year at TNC Park. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't Um, know how you know that. I don't know why anybody would know that. (laughs) (laughs) I used to take my grandson just for because he enjoyed the experience, but the baseball just. has fallen into a category in my mind to join whatever happens between prince harry and the queen and anything the kardashians care about (laughs) they're all in the same boat with me that's about where i how much i care right now
2: well i'm not gonna lie they're probably a little higher than the kardashian show but not much i don't know (laughs) i don't know Hey, go ahead, Scott.
1: Can I can I can I just add on to what Wayne said there? And, and <laughs> can, can I ask the panel what a YouTube star is and what an Instagram star is? Like, how do you just go on your own site, create something, and now you're a YouTube star or an Instagram star? Man, at this point, I, I just don't get it. Man, I don't get it. Well, no. Oh, that's easy, Scott. That's easy. They are the P.T. Barnums of this era. Mm-hmm. Wasn't yeah. he the one that said there's a sucker born every minute? Yeah. That's yeah. how they all get rich.
0: It's unbelievable. Well, I, I saw a video that sums it up really, really nicely. So uh, in an area, and I'm not sure exactly where the area was, where there were riots that happened and they had to board up uh, for repairs this girl got out of her car okay and, and this was a a six-figure mercedes she got out of um smoking hot okay short the car shots, or the girl the, the, the both both okay. all right there We're was trying a, to follow there along. Was, there was a guy a worker like you know drilling the, the board into the into where the window was she somehow talked him into letting her pretend that she was drilling something and her boyfriend or husband or whatever got out of the car and took a picture of of it like she was working like she was helping and then she gave after the picture was taken she gave the drill back to the worker and got in the car and took off and guarantee that showed up on social media it's like look what i'm doing okay i've got family members who do this shit not maybe not that shit but do shit like that all the time so guys i got family kardashians i've got them i'm just telling you they're not famous but they think they are okay so just just saying but anyway i um You know, with baseball, I've said my piece about baseball, but I'm going to blend this into the next discussion point. Uh, Not that this (laughs) even matters if there's if there's no season, but just to rub salt on the wound, Chris Archer had season-ending surgery. So, if there is a season, if there is a season, ladies and gentlemen you won't be seeing Chris nickname the home run machine Archer on the bump this year.
2: So you're actually not going to see Archer ever again. Very possible. his, His contract's up with an $11 million team option for next year. Right. He's done in Pittsburgh.
0: So here's my question. Here's my question. I'm going to start with Wayne Wagner. Not only is... I, I we could categorize this the Chris Archer trade as the worst trade in Pirates history, but I'm going to add on: was this the worst trade in Pittsburgh professional sports history?
1: Greg, not only Pittsburgh. If you remember, when I when this happened, I was kind of in a minority. The, the Ron Cooks of the world thought this was a big move to go out and get someone to fight for the pennant. At the time, I said it was the worst trade ever. I will tell you, it is neck and neck with the Boston Red Sox trading Babe Ruth for the rights to the Broadway musical No, No, Nanette. They're one (laughs) and two. Um, And I think maybe with the surgery, Archer has passed them up. To give up Tyler Glass now and uh, Shane Scott and Austin Meadows for this guy, and he had a five-something ERA when they traded for him. It's right up there with Babe Ruth for no no net rights. <laughs> That's
0: beautiful. Go, go ahead, Scott. Is this the worst trade? Is, is this the worst it, ever? It, um, I,
1: I, I'll say, yeah, but I'm going to give you one B. I'm going to give you one B. Right. Um, it's, a, it's a comedy of errors. It's a comedy of errors. The closest thing that I can come to it up till this point, I felt what I'm going to tell you is it was the worst trade in Pittsburgh sports history. It was in 2007 where David Littlefield traded for Matt Morris, uh, the San Francisco Giants, in a 13 million dollar contract, who never pitched again in the major league. He traded Rajah Davis, who ended up having a nice career, you know, 13 year in a, in a major league baseball career. It's not even important who they traded away, really. It's about the fact that they brought Matt Morris. To San Francisco was going to cut the the dude. I almost swore there. San Francisco was. You can swear cut on here. Dude. It's a
0: podcast. It's fine. Yeah, you're allowed to swear.
1: Pretty, it was a pretty bad word, but they, <laughs> they were going to cut the motherfucker, and the Steelers, or excuse me, the Pirates saved the day when David Littlefield <laughs> came in and bailed them out of thirteen million dollars. The guy never pitched, to my knowledge. He busted up his arm and never pitched again. And Rajah and some other guy I never heard of, went out to San Francisco and had a good... I thought that was the worst I'd ever seen. This one, being that you're giving away two really good players, has to trumpet, have to trumpet.
0: Duty, worst trade hey, you've ever seen forget in sports? Don't about
1: Ar- Ar- Ramirez, too.
0: Yeah, Aramis Ramirez. Yeah, that was another uh, good one. But that, I think that one pales in comparison to this. Duty.
2: I think you guys are a little close to the situation as being Pirate fans. I Here's what I remember about this trade. Everybody and their brother wanted Pittsburgh to finally go out and do a trade to help them get the wild card. Everybody, except Wayne Wagner. They didn't necessarily say Archer, but everybody in Pittsburgh that I talked to said, we're finally in the pennant race. Let's go get someone. And believe it or not, the Pirates were not the only bidder for chris archer why because he struck out a ton of players and he was the best player on the market that could be had and pirates decided to get fleeced (laughs) by giving away austin meadows who if you remember your coach clint hurdle wouldn't play he played him for three games and he benched him he wouldn't play him and the guy you could see he was going to be a good player So Hurdle wasn't playing him anyway, and everyone wanted him to make a trade. Now, having since that trade, it obviously has backfired, to say the least. And I can tell you, since then, the way that – you know how I feel about the Pittsburgh Pirates? I would rather try to masturbate to a Golden Girls rerun than listen to anything the front office of the Pittsburgh Pirates do. Very
0: nice. I thought you were going to
1: say Rachel Levine, but okay.
0: No, there you go. So um is this worse okay I'm going to have another bad trade when Mike Ditka traded away his entire draft class uh for for Ricky, Ricky Williams Yeah that might yeah. that might be there too um nah.
1: I think Ditka's never done anything wrong
0: <laughs>
1: Go ahead Scott The Hearst, the Herschel Walker from Dallas to yeah. Minnesota trade was pretty bad, too. They traded for, like, eight, yeah. Yeah. eight draft picks or something like that. Yeah. that. That was what ended up setting up the Cowboys for that championship run they had.
0: Yeah,
2: Yep, that was a great trade. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, And I will tell I you understand. that the Ricky Williams, if it wasn't the fact that he liked weed more than pretty much the whole state of Louisiana, <laughs> they actually won games. So even though that was a bad trade, the Bears actually or Mike Ditka actually won games because of that trade. He almost made the playoffs because
0: of it. Yeah, well Fifths and Butts were candy and nuts, and we'd all have a Merry Christmas. They didn't uh yeah, I know. they didn't, you know they didn't nearly have the success of other teams, and you're right about the Herschel Walker deal. That that really catapulted. I mean I mean it's two things. Number one, the Cowboys made some great picks you know and and got and developed some great talent in order to make those uh those super bowl runs so you know what good on them they took advantage of it uh there are some teams that got has gotten picks and has made trades and they couldn't capitalize on it so
2: well, this, we're going to see here in a couple of years if Miami didn't pull off not only trades but uh pocketing a ton of draft picks yeah and everyone thinks they had a good draft because of it we're not going to know for 3 years
0: yeah. Yeah, they're kind of taking the uh <clears throat> the Bill Belichick playbook and uh they've got a lot of you know, they've got a lot of draft picks coming up in the next two drafts. Um so got some uh we heard some sad news today. Um the death of uh, former Pitt and uh Tennessee head coach Johnny Majors. Um I I only really remember the, the Jackie Sherrill years are as, as early as I remember as a, a vague recollection of the, of the national championship team. Um, but Johnny majors then went on, had a successful career at Tennessee, came back, uh, to pit, uh, for a little bit. Um, but you know, a lot of praise out there, uh, about Johnny majors, not only as a coach, but as a person, um, you know, I, I want to start out with you, Wayne, because you, you were a part of, you know, you were from Penn State, but you grew up in this area. You were a part of the Pitt Penn State rivalry all those years. What are your memories about when Johnny Majors was here as coach and the teams that he, that he put out there and what you've heard in your circles about, uh, about Johnny Majors as a coach? Well, first
1: of all, it's sad to see him pass. He was a, uh the guy that revived pit football in um, the early seventies. I, as a kid, I used to go up to Pitt, Pitt stadium in a Dave Hart and Carl, DePasquale years where pit football was dead. He came in. Um, fortunately for him, there was no limit on scholarships at the time. I think he signed 90 some kids, uh, close to hundred kids his first year. Um, and he, I always thought he was a class act. He revitalized, Pitt football he went home the mama in the words of Bear Bryant when Tennessee came a calling or otherwise he could have stayed and had a great career at Pitt Um, had success at Tennessee until Phil Fulmer basically pulled a coup on him when he had some health problems and took over that program and sadly um, his uh, legend was a little tarnished when he came back to Pitt um, on round two yeah. I think the game by then had passed them by, and the system was different. But always thought even though he uh, beat Penn State in that 1976 game for the national title, was brilliant coaching on his part. He moved Tony Dorsett to fullback to uh, get him into the um, line quicker against a, a, a stunting Penn State front defense. It was a brilliant move of seven seven and halftime. Always found him to be a class act. Um,
0: sorry to see him die yeah yeah really sad uh duty you're a you know you're you're certainly a penn state fan as we can see by the t-shirt you're wearing um sure. but you know i i remember watching johnny majors led teams when they played tennessee and and just being a college football fan when you hear these names like the the bear bryants the joe paternos and now the johnny majors you know, these coaches, these legendary coaches that we grew up watching their teams. Do you have any uh, any thoughts about Johnny Majors as a whole, not just at Pitt, but at Tennessee?
2: Well, uh, look, this guy, this guy, maybe you can say it's because of scholarships, you can say whatever, but he guided Pitt through the best time in their football period that they're ever going to have. They're never going to get back to being a national championship contender. They're not. They were ranked in the top ten. I don't know, four or five times when he was there. Um, what can you say about a guy that did that at Pitt? Mm-hmm. You can tell now they got a guy that won't go for it on fourth and one from the one. You know what Johnny Majors would have done? Johnny Majors would have kicked him in the bag if he would have been if he'd have been at that game for not going for that. That's not what Johnny Majors did. Johnny Majors was about winning football games and putting your foot on the juggler. And like Wayne said, what a, what a halftime adjustment coach. That guy could go in at halftime and redo an entire game plan and come out and the team would just be phenomenal the second half. So it's, it's horrible. All it means guys is that every day we're getting older and all the guys that we followed and all the guys that were our heroes are dropping dead it scares the living shit out of me is all, is all it does. But very sad news. Um, one of the best coaches ever and probably the best guided pit to the best teams they're ever going to have in the history of their program. They're never going to get back to that status.
0: Go ahead, Scott. Uh, thanks,
2: Greg. You know, I'm, I'm along the lines of Wayne, you know,
1: growing up around here. Um, Johnny Majors was pit coach, what, from 72 to 76 or somewhere on there. 77. Um, it was good coach. I don't remember who was before it. I know Cheryl, then Foge Fajio, and those came and came afterwards. One thing that he could do regardless if there were limits on scholarships or not, everybody played by the same rules back then. Yep. And he did bring 90 some kids in Wayne. Um, and he recruited a five 1165 pound tailback out of Aliquippa, right. Out of Hopewell high school and Tony Dorset. Tony Dorset at the time, I remember names like Joe Joe Heath that Manesson was an All-American. He brought him in. Jimbo Kramer was a linebacker from WPIL. We happened to know him a little bit. He brought him in. The guy could just – his passion for the game of football enabled him to go into kids' homes and convince them, whatever program he was a part of, to come be a part of that tradition. He was phenomenal at that. He did the same thing back in Tennessee when he went down there. When he went back, I think he played tailback in there in Tennessee. I think that was his alma mater. He played for a number of years yeah. down there. so I just had yeah. tremendous memories of, of Pitt football back then and going down to Pitt stadium and watching those games. And, and uh, a lot of that was Johnny Majors culture that he developed down there.
0: Well, if people forget Johnny Majors finished second to Paul Horning in the Heisman.
1: Yeah.
0: In, yep. in the, in the Heisman. Program. I mean, he was a hell of a football player. He's he was at first in the college football hall of fame as a player, you know, not first of all, as a player, yeah. not a coach. So he was a hell of a football player. Um, back in, uh, I, I worked, when I, was, when I was going to Pitt, I, um, I worked in the sports information department when I, uh, when I was getting my bachelor's degree um, when I was at the, at the main campus. And <clears throat> um, I went back to visit, the offices were actually in Pitt Stadium. So the stadium itself had offices along the outside at the top of cardiac hill so that's why I worked and I went back to visit that year the the first year when when Johnny Majors came back to coach and I don't know if you guys remember but it was I think it was the opening game of the year Pitt had a road game at Southern Miss and Southern Miss was a was a favorite was a heavy favorite in that game and Pitt ended up winning that game if I if my memory serves correct and, you know, that was really the, the bright, the only real bright spot for Coach Majors. You know, that he stepped in and it, it was exciting. You know, it was exciting for the program. And I, I remember going into the sports information department, talking to them. And, you know, there was, there was a certain amount of excitement. But um, for some others in there, I, I remembered getting the feeling like, yeah, that was a nice win, but this is not going to last. Like, we, it, this is not going to be like a rejuvenation of the glory days of the 1976 National Championship team. You know, this is just, you know, it was a nice win. It was nice for Coach, but he's not the same coach that he was when he was here. Um, and, and I even, you know, I'm going to connect this with another story that I read. There was a, a Jackie Sherrill interview, and he said something really, really interesting. He said one of the biggest mistakes of his life was leaving Pitt. And going to Texas AM. He said he made a, a massive mistake doing that. Now, I don't know what the hell would have happened to the football, put, football program if Jackie Sherrill had stayed. And I don't know if he'd have gotten in any kind of trouble with the NCAA. You know, there was always stories about, you know, Cheryl and and you know, the the program and things like that. But, you know, it, for for Pitt fans it's a it's definitely a bittersweet day. It's a it's it's good for memories of when Pitt uh, to Duty's point you know, they were up there every year uh, as one of the top teams, and Johnny Majors took them there. And that, you know, went through the Cheryl years, uh, one year with Foge, but then it's, you know, it's kind of been downhill from there. Um, I, and, and college football as a whole, um, you know, not just has that environment changed due to your point just with Pitt, but college football as a whole has changed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you really have the haves and the have-nots in college football, and um, we talked a couple of weeks ago, a couple of podcasts ago, about, you know, the, um, the players now being going to be able to make money uh, off of their likeness, and I can't say that college football is, is going to change for the better, but, you know, going back and remembering, like, the times of, of the Johnny Majors, Jackie Sherrill's, Joe Paterno's, Bear Bryant's, you know, those legends of, those legends of college football, um, you know, Johnny majors brings back those memories and, you know, we just all say rest in peace coach. Any, any last thoughts, uh, Wayne, before we, before we sign off?
1: No, that's, I think we've covered a lot of, uh, topics today. A lot of things went a little deeper than sports. Um, I have nothing else to add.
0: Okay. Scott, anything before we go? Well, it was nice not talking about COVID-19,
1: quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> but I have I have a request from the for the panel for the next one is no baseball questions, please. <laughs> you're killing me. No baseball questions.
0: Dude, I was gonna That's do a whole section on the Korean baseball league. I got like stats and oh, wow. everything else. We, you know, we could go with that. So, uh, good. duty. Any last thoughts before we sign off? No, just
2: going back to the coaching. Um, remember how good the Whipple was when he back in the seventies when, when he was making his team. And what did he do? He got he got Dan Marino to stay home. What what else did he do? He got Tony Dorsett's dad suddenly he had a job in an air conditioned office instead of working on the floor in a steel mill. Wonder how that went back then. <laughs> Whatever it took, um, the guy was just great. It's so sad to see heroes like that pass away and i wasn't kidding when i said scares me to death every day i go to bed at night thinking boy what the hell is that feeling in my arm geez i hope i wake up in the morning <laughs> it turns out turns out i had a sore shoulder from sleeping on it wrong but i it panics me every day um i hate losing heroes i hate losing guys like that sports are not going to ever be the same thanks to this covid thanks to the way things are run the NFL's now all passing. They don't care about anything else. It's just, that was a fun time to be able to watch our teams and watch our heroes. And it's just, it saddens me every day when, when they pass away.
0: So today duty is turning into the grumpy old fart. Well, off my <laughs> Go ahead, Wayne. Go
1: ahead. Hey Greg, I did have one thing you guys more than likely heard this, but it, really struck me yesterday i heard someone say that um we are going through the spanish flu of 1918 the stock market crash of 1929 and the riot of 1968 simultaneously
0: yeah yeah that's a very good point that's pretty true that's pretty true all, all well, that
1: yeah. all that and Stop Boris. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: And leave it to you to bring up baseball again after you just said, don't do it. (laughs) Sorry.
0: Help yourself. Well, Hey, I gotta, I I gotta say this and I'll wrap it up with this. You know, we got all this shit going on and yeah, this, this podcast did get a little bit deeper than sports, but I look forward to every Wednesday when I can, you know, this is a nice reprieve to be able to, to get on the line and, and talk to you gentlemen and, and talk about sports i'm hoping that um you know some of our guests are certainly tied up with other things as you can understand but uh you know i I really really enjoy it and even with um nothing going on in the sports world really we we always have things to talk about and great insights and stories back and forth so uh i appreciate your time everybody uh please check us out remember we're on soundcloud itunes spotify our iheart radio you can check out the podcast also see our updates on facebook and twitter please feel free to send us an email basement sports podcast at gmail.com that's basement sports podcast at gmail.com if you have a suggestion if you have a guest uh we're going to try to get some guests on here and have some have some uh uh extra podcast going on where either one or two or three of us might be interviewing a guest uh but if you have somebody you'd like to suggest or you'd like to come on the show yourself please let us know but uh Wayne Scott Duty uh thanks again for coming on and uh hey good night everybody thanks so much thanks,
1: thanks thank you